Hey, we're in a series that we're calling Hope is Here. Say it out loud with me. Hope is here. One more time. Hope is here. We're talking about the King of Glory, and we're looking kind of at the Christmas story. And so with that being said, we kind of started off with a concept. It's out of Matthew chapter 12 and verse 21. It says, in his name shall be the hope of all the world. His name shall be the He is the hope of all the world. I don't know about you, but there are lots of times throughout my week I need his hope. And not only that, but I want to be a disseminator of hope. I want people to get around me and go, man, every time I'm around him, I just know that God's doing something great in the earth. I want to help folks who constantly find themselves going into depression and frustration and agitation who've lost hope. I want them to know the hope of the world. And so with that being the case, we jumped into this series looking at how God took this moment in history where his people, the book of Malachi, God says, I'm done with you. you have, you've, you've been adulterous against me. You, you don't want me. So you know what? I'm just going to back away from the relationship right now. And for the next 400 years, between the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, and the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, 400 years, God did not engage with his people. Didn't, do, didn't, didn't really engage with them. People, people served the Lord during that time, but he didn't really engage with them nationally, internationally. And then in this moment of the book of Matthew, we studied last week that God said, okay, I'm bringing my hope to you. I'm going to bring my son, Jesus, and he's going to live amongst you, and he's going to show you the way, for he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can come to the Father except through him. And so Jesus comes, and last week we studied that one of the first parts of the process, see, for hope to be in our life, there's this process that God brought his people through between the book of Malachi and the, and the, and the book of Matthew. The first thing that he did, he wanted to say, okay, until you're desperate and you really want me, I'm going to back away from you. Friend, can I tell you there have been some times in my life where I thought I had it all together and was living for myself when I realized, wait a minute, I am hopeless. I've got nothing. My life is miserable. I am living the grind of the world system, and there is nothing inside of me of any value and that's when I turned my face towards God and cried out to him and we learned last week the first part of that process is consecration if you want hope to come into your life the first step is Bible says that Jesus will save his people from their sins and last week we talked about look Jesus came to save his followers from our sins for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God all of us need God's saving grace over our sins and God is so gracious about that we talked about how to consecrate how literally as we looked at the parable with the weeds and 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 the and, and our life being choked out by the things around us that we literally can pull those weeds up we can consecrate ourselves and as we jump into today's teaching this one is actually titled submitted to his guidance would you say that with me submitted to his guidance one more time submitted to his guidance years ago when I was a youth minister in Arlington I had a young man who started coming to our youth ministry and got on fire for the Lord. And uh, amazing young man. And he was a big kid, just a big kid. And uh, later in life, uh, I found out that he became an MMA uh, a fighter. He was uh, a wrestler in high school, but he became an MMA fighter. He ended up uh, being, you know, uh, they had a couple of these ultimate fighter, you know, uh, reality shows where these MMA fighters lived in a house, and he was on one of the first initial shows, and man, he, he just went to popularity. He was winning a lot. He was, he was fighting a lot and, um, and just doing really well. His name is Justin Wren, and Justin had this moment, though, as he got hurt a couple times, and he started taking, you know, pain medicine, and those guys are constantly getting banged on and beat on 
on. And, and so before you know it, he was addicted to that. And before you know it, he was, he was living kind of that high life. And, and, and he's back, he starts doing drugs and alcohol and all this kind of stuff. And he literally is in a place of destruction. And um, one of my closest friends who had been his small group leader back when they were in our youth ministry uh, got a call from, from Justin's parents and said, listen, you're the only guy he'll listen to. He's in Las Vegas in a hotel room. They can't get him out. And he's on some cocaine stupor uh, for the last few days. He's already been kicked off the Olympic team. He was going to be able to wrestle uh, from the Olympic team. And it looks like already that, uh, that they're going to kick him out. Uh, because of all of his drug usage uh, from, you know, I think he, he's with Bellator now, but in those days uh, he was with whoever the other big name was. And so they were kicking him out of it, and he's in a full-on depression and doing more drugs, and, we, and we're scared he's going to kill himself. So my friend jumped on an airplane, flew to Las Vegas, knocked on the door, Justin opened the door, grabbed a hold of this young man, and he brought him back to Dallas, and he took him to an encounter. See, we do encounters every quarter. And while that young man was sitting in the back of the room during the encounter, the presence of the Lord was ministering to people. People were getting delivered from drugs. People were getting set free. People get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, God grabbed a hold of his heart. And Justin remembered the former way that he was living and realized he had gone astray and wanted God. He runs down to the front gets down on his knees and God begins to heal him, deliver him. Now you and I would have went back as some of the greatest now you know, MMA fighters from that point forward, but God gave this boy a vision while he was on his face crying in repentance as he was consecrating himself. Then came the next piece. God spoke to him. God showed him a picture of small African people. He didn't know who they were. He went back to his seat. He was sitting there, and there's a guy standing next to him. He said, man, God, I think, just spoke to me. He gave me, like, this picture in my mind. And he said, what would you see? He said, I saw these little small African people. I don't know. He goes, you mean the pygmies? He's like, what are they? What's pygmies? He'd never heard of it. He said, well, Google it. So he Googles the pygmies, and he goes, that's who I saw. That's who I saw. He took the last bit of money in his account, got on an airplane, didn't know anybody, and went to Africa and found these tribal pygmy tribal people. And as he was amongst them, he found out something. That of all the tribal people of the different nations of Africa, this was the lowest of the lowest. In fact, they were considered dogs to all the other tribes. And they literally, they literally were still in prison. They were literally slaves to all the other tribes. They would kill them. They would shoot. They force them into labor. They would, they would rape them. Whatever they wanted to do, they were literally enslaved to all the other tribes. They were a smaller group of people. That enraged him, a holy anger. And he said, that's it, I'm going to spend the rest of my life taking care of these pygmies. And he began, he began to uh, fight for them, literally. First thing he did was started getting people, helping him get, dig wells. And then he had to buy property for them because they were like, they were like animals out in the, in, in the wilderness. They had no property of their own. So that's why people could just dis, dis, destroy them. And he began to actually, he began to actually uh, uh, help save their lives. And he became, if you will, this, this face for them. And while he was doing that, he quit, he quit wrestling, he quit MMA for two years. He cared for these people. He started a ministry, coming back and forth to the states, raising money to help these, these pygmies. It was unbelievable what God did. So many of them saved. I mean, thousands now have come to Christ, and they literally are safe, and the God has changed their life. But I wanted to take a moment and just give you a quick clip of Justin kind of giving a little piece of his story. So play that for him for just a moment so they can see what I'm talking about. Five years ago, I was a professional athlete. I fought on the Ultimate Fighter, and I was in the UFC. Looking at me from the outside, you probably would have thought I had it all. In reality, I felt like I had this hole basically in my soul, and I would use any drug I could find to fill that void. And then at my lowest point, I say God loved the hell out of me. 
He, he found me in the pit I was in and showed me the way out of it. That's when I gave up the American dream and I gave up being a professional athlete. I met my second family here in the Congo, the Mabuti Pygmies. Uh, they call themselves the forgotten people. All Pygmies are denied their basic human rights. They're victims of hatred. I know this because of Andy Bo, a one and a half year old little boy that was denied hospital treatment. The doctor said, we won't waste our medicine on a pygmy animal. It's cheaper to just let them die than try to take care of them. I, I saw the blood come out of his ears and, um, and, and uh, I, bur I buried him, I dug his grave and, um, and, and that will change you. That was the moment that, that gripped my heart, the moment that I knew that this is my fight too. This is the reason why I came back to the States and why I fight for Bellator. There's so much more at stake now. Every cent I make for my win bonus is going to land, water, and food initiatives for my tribe. And that's why I can't lose. Because before, I was fighting for myself. But now I'm fighting for something bigger than myself. I'm fighting for my family. That's something. That's something. Here's a man who heard God's voice and let God guide him away from what he thought was so important and to what God thought was important and his life now has meaning. I want to take you through the scripture in Proverbs chapter 4. Turn there with me. Verse 11. This is our key scripture. Proverbs 4 and 11. Give you a second to turn on your Bible and get there. As you do, it's also on the screen. Look what it says. Proverbs 4 and 11. I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. In this proverb, what we're being challenged to do is to hold on, to submit to his guidance. The Lord wants to guide you and I, but you and I have to submit to his guidance. Some of the most amazing people I've ever known will tell you, God spoke to me to do that, and that's why I'm doing it. Some of the most phenomenal people at peace and rest, living in maybe not the, most, uh, the biggest mansion, but feeling like they're the richest people on the planet, are those people who would say, God told me to do this, and I'm doing it, and I find fulfillment in his guidance. I want you to understand something today. The process of hope coming to your life starts when you and I consecrate ourselves and say, Lord, I just don't want sin to dominate me anymore. I want you. Then the next phase in that process is say, Lord, whatever you have, whatever you need, whatever you want, I submit. I, I want you to guide me. Frank, can I ask you a question? What guides you? What guides you? Oprah? What your professor said in your psychology class? What your second grade teacher told you? What guides you? Who, who's leading you? Because we're all guided by something. What philosophy holds true in you? This world system? Get all that you can as quickly as you can. Have as much as fun as you can. Leave God out of this whole equation because you know there's not enough time to be a, a solid believer and have all the fun I want to. What is guiding you? Who is guiding? Because we're all being guided by someone or something. We're all philosophically believing something that's driving us to get up every day to go to work every day and to come home every day. So my question to you is who, what is guiding you? As we look at the Christmas story, I want you to see how important it was 
for Jesus' existence on the earth, for a couple of people to really surrender to God's guidance. Let's look at Joseph. Joseph, the, if you will, stepdad or father of Jesus, earthly father of Jesus, has this moment where Mary, we mentioned this last week, where Mary says he's engaged to her, and Mary says, I'm pregnant. And he says, I didn't do it. So who did? And then she says, the Lord did it. An angel came to me and said that I was being impregnated by the Holy Spirit and that this child is the Savior of the world. Now, I just want to back up for a moment as a dude and imagine that conversation with my fiance. Just come on, put that in real perspective. Now, he goes to work the next day and he's got some dudes that he talks to. And there's like, how's the engagement going? Dude, you're not going to believe what she told me. She's pregnant. Bruh, you dog, you know better than that, bruh. What's up with that? Nah, bruh, it ain't me. I ain't been with her. Oh, bruh, I'm so sorry, bruh, dude. Oh, man. Uh, well, you tell us who it is. We'll kill him. You tell us who it is. We will bury that joker. Nah, she said it wasn't a dude. She said God did it. <laughs> she said, that, that, we need to tweet that. That's a good one right there. God did it. Can you imagine that conversation? Can you imagine sitting down with dad? Hey, dad, listen, I know we're about to have this wedding thing. Um, I just need to tell you something. She's going to be showing a little bit. Son, you know that we serve God. How could you slip up like that, dad? It wasn't me. It wasn't you, then. Who was it? Nobody. Imagine that conversation with your mom and dad as they're preparing the feast, the party, the, the wedding piece. Can you imagine that? In fact, by way of Jewish law, if a woman or a man was caught in adultery, they were to be stoned. And so if he, if he goes to the rabbi and he says to his local rabbi, hey, pastor, rabbi, dude, I need to talk to you. Hey, my fiance is pregnant. She's saying that, it's, that God did it. So how, what do I do? How am I guided in this situation? So the rabbi flips through the Old Testament law and he says, well, if she's caught in adultery, we can stone her. Well, she wasn't caught. She's saying she's pregnant. I'm telling you, I've not been. Can you imagine? How are you going to sell that to everybody in the community? Can you imagine the thought process that you're having to deal with that this child is not really my child and I'm going to marry her? What in the world? And so he decided in the goodness of his heart, I won't expose her. I won't humiliate her. I'll just privately put her away. And that was his intention to do that. But look what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 1. In verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This guy now has a choice. Will I trust the word of the Lord? I just had an angel come to me in a night vision. In a night vision. I don't know if you've ever had a night vision. But he had a, he had a vision from God. It wasn't, a, you know, our little, you know, swallowing marshmallows, you know, dreams that we have. And we, we wake up, our pillow's gone. It's not like that. Like he is having an open vision with God. An angel is speaking to him on God's behalf and saying, this is from God. Marry her. Stay with her. See this thing through. Friend, can I tell you something? Had he not done that, 
The storyline that we know now is Jesus coming to the earth would have all been destroyed. Thank God Joseph allowed himself to be guided by the living God, submitted to that guidance. How about this next piece? When you look at this in Matthew chapter 2, we find that the Magi see this star from the east. They're, they're astronomers. They're these, these guys, and we'll talk more about them next week. But they see this star, so they start falling. They start, and, and they end up in Jerusalem. And you got to understand, the Magi did not come, like some of you think, you know, like three little dudes with three little gifts. That's not at all what's transpiring. This is probably a hundred people in a caravan. They've been traveling for months trying to track down this thing that they saw. They are very well, they're little kings. Is what and the gifts are not three little gifts. They are three types of gifts. But you talk about, I mean, Jesus' family basically won the lottery. I mean, this, they've come in with like millions and millions of wealth for them. I mean, this thing is huge. So when they show up in Jerusalem, and they show up and they start asking, hey, where's the Messiah? We saw his star. We saw, we've been following. God led us here. The Bible says it stirred the whole city. They believe that Jerusalem at that time was somewhere, you know, over 150,000 people. So it's a big city. And the whole city is stirred because all these Eastern dudes come up in there. I mean, they come. Remember Aladdin when they all come? They all come marching into the city. So everybody's talking about it. Everybody's like, oh, my goodness. And then they're asking, where's the Messiah that was born? Where is he? Where's the king? Of the Jews. Well, Herod is the king of the Jews. And so he says, excuse me, can I have an audience with you rich men who come into my city? What do you mean the king of the Jews? I'm the king of the Jews. No, no, we saw the, the Messiah, the king of the Jews star. And he said, well, I don't know who he is, but I'll tell you this. Go look for him. And when you find him, come report back to me where he's at. Because I want to worship him also. Those of you that know scripture, Herod had no intention of worshiping. He planned on killing him because he wasn't giving up his position to some baby, some prophecy thing that was about to happen. And look in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 2. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They found Jesus. They come, they worship him. They dump the gifts on him. Again, we'll study that next week. But having been warned in a dream, who's guiding you? I tell you who's guiding these Eastern people who don't even declare Jesus as their Lord, who don't even follow Jehovah. God speaks to them through a dream and they go, okay, that's what we're going to do. And they go away from what they had planned to do. They put themselves in jeopardy. This man could track them down with his army and try to kill them. But they go away. from Why? Because who's guiding them? The Lord God is guiding them. And they're following his leading. Whose leading are you following? How do you, how do you plan out your business model every day? How, how do you get up every day and, and engage with other people? What is guiding you? How do you know what truth is and what truth isn't? Where, what are you following? What voice are you listening to? And who have you submitted yourself to? Because we're all submitted to something. We're all submitted to something. And that's why for God's hope to come into our lives, first we have to consecrate, then we have to submit to his guidance. Like, how about this one? How about then again with Joseph in Matthew chapter 2? What happens is once, once Herod realizes... That these guys have deceived him and they've gone away. Herod decides, all right, I'm going to kill all the kids under two years of age over in Bethlehem, that little city that was prophesied he'd come from. Having been warned in a dream, look what happens in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, and when they had gone, an angel of the Lord, talking about the Magi, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord then appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. 
Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, I want, I want to kind of put something in perspective for you just a moment. Joseph is from a little area, the Nazareth area. He's from a little area that's probably no more than about 1,500 people. He's living in Bethlehem right now. No more than about 1,500 people. There were probably less than 20 babies that were under two years of age that would fit the profile of who Jesus fit in, that Herod was looking for, to try to kill now. So, so now God speaks to him and tells him to go to Egypt. Probably million people. So picture this. You're from Cleburne. You redneck, you're from Cleburne, all right? Like, you know everybody in town. You're graduating class of 75 people. And then God says, take your wife and, and the kid that came from God and go to New York and live in New York. I mean, that even in and of itself, he's got to be going, this, this, not, this doesn't fit me. And he says, because Herod's going to try to kill the kid. I don't know about you, but my prayer would have been, well, won't you just kill Herod? And let me stay where I'm comfortable. See, following God's guidance doesn't always mean your comfort. Doesn't always mean the thing that you feel feels right. And if, if I, need, I, I would imagine it felt wrong to, to Joseph. He's like, this, is not, this doesn't feel right. Like, I'm a country boy. Like, dude, I, 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 I wore skinny jeans before they were skinny jeans. You know, they, you know, they were Levi's. And, 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 and now I'm going to go and I'm going to go to the big city. And eat. I'm not Egyptian. So what kind of job am I going to get? You know, we had our little business here, my little family business. Now I'm going to go work at Subway in, in New York just even, wow, what's going on here? But God, I will do what you told me to do. Why? Because I trust in you. And not only that, but I'm carrying the hope of the world. I've got the hope of the world with me. And so where hope goes, I go. Had he not followed the guidance of the Spirit of the Lord in this moment, where would we have been? Herod would have killed Jesus before Jesus ever got to come, alive, come onto the earth and show us the way to live. We'd have never had his ministry. Herod would have short-circuited that. Can I, under, can I just help you understand? Some of you, because you refuse to follow the guidance of the Lord, you're short-circuiting the plan that God has for your life. Dude, I, I'm just staying right here. I, I know better. I know what's best for me. I learned this in my business school. I learned this in college. I learned this from my, my daddy, blah, 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 blah. And you're following these old guidance pieces. They're not leading you closer to Jesus. They're actually keeping you away from the plan and purposes that he has for you. You and I have to learn to submit to his guidance. You still with me? Say yes. They believe that Joseph and Mary spent four to five years in Egypt. At this point, Jesus is close to five, six, seven years of age. When we pick up in verse two, chapter 2, verse 19, it says, And after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up! Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. Now here we go again. Like, look, I just got settled. Come on. Have you ever moved from house to house? Come on, military brats. You know what I'm talking about. Like, it's miserable. I just met friends at school. And now we're going to go off again. But he submitted to that. And he let the Lord lead him and guide him. Again, who's leading you? Who, how are you making life decisions? Who, uh, how, how do you determine what you will and will not do all day long? How do you know what's the right way and the wrong way? The Bible says it like this, let your word guide me. Shine your light. David said, shine your light on my path. I'll follow you. Your statutes are life to me. They guide me. But it was our opening scripture, I will guide you. I will lead you. It's amazing. We all have these philosophies we live by. 
Well, Ellen said this. She tweeted out that. That's true. That's true. I believe that. Listen, if you are not guided by the Lord himself, then what's going to happen is you're going to be guided by all the other foolishness that's happening around us. And you and I have to learn to submit to his guidance. I can never forget this young man. I finally got this young man saved. He was 17 years old. Man, this kid was the coolest kid on the planet. By the time he was 18, you know, he's serving with me in leadership in the youth ministry. And, and he started liking this little girl, man. And now his family's wicked. He's starting to like this little girl. And, and he comes to me. He said, man, Pastor Adam, man, I'll tell you, pray for me. I said, why? He said, my dad is like all over me because I got a girlfriend now. He wants to know how much sex I'm having. I'm like, your dad? I was like, your dad's an idiot. I'm like, what's the deal? He goes, that's just a, I ended up having to go by his house a couple weeks later. And so I pull up, I get out, I knock on the door. Dad comes to the door. He said, what you want? I said, I'm here to see Sydney, you know, da, 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 da. He goes, you the preacher guy? I said, I guess. Yes, sir, I, I guess I am. I want to ask you something. I want to ask you something. I said, all right. He said, now, you know, my boy's dating this girl over at your church, right? I said, yes, sir, they, they're doing pretty good. It's, it's pretty cool how God put them together. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He said, listen, he tells me he ain't going to have sex with her. I said, duh, right, right. It's called being a Christian, living holy. That's what it's, that's what it's called. Yeah. And he goes, now that's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. He said, let me, let me just put it to you like this. Have you ever bought a car that you didn't test drive? You got to test drive it to know if you want to buy it. I said, sir, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. I said, I- I'll tell you why that's stupid. I said, because you're going to go from broken relationship to broken. Now, I, look, this, this kid's been screwed up for the last however many years because of you and your stupid philosophy. You need to repent and get right with God. He said, you need to leave my house. I said, I'm happy to leave your house. But I'm going to tell you right now, you are messed up. You're, what's guiding you, what's guiding you is perversion, not the truth of the living God. His son ended up marrying that girl. They are amazing. They have a beautiful family. God has done such miracles. But let me tell you something. Had he followed daddy's philosophy, some of you still living for what daddy said, you know, years ago because he said, this is a, don't you ever let him get over on you, boy. If you let him get over on you, they'll take advantage of it. Well, the Bible says, what does the Bible say? It says, love our enemies. We don't have to fight them back. We keep fighting darkness with darkness. That's the craziest thing on the planet. What's guiding you? So let me give you a couple thoughts in Scripture. Uh, you know, as I see in Scripture, how God, God will guide you. Can, I, can you write these down with me? We're going to jump into this quickly. Number one, God guides us, number one, by His written word. His written word. You say, I just don't know what God wants me to do. Well, have you read the Bible lately? It's amazing. It's amazing. Every time I read the Bible, it talks to me. And I'm like, oh, that's what I need to do. Oh my goodness, I can't, t- the other day I was just reading the word, I, I had my time where I read the word, I was reading the word, and I just, oh, that's it, I read something in Proverbs, that's it, and I called somebody and said, I know what we're supposed to do, and they're like, that's amazing, we've been waiting on you to figure this out for six weeks, I was like, I know, if, imagine if the pastor read the Bible more, amazing, the written word of God is there for a reason, to guide us, like David said, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. So, Pastor, I just don't know what to do about this relationship with my wife. Read the Word. He tells you what to do. The problem is not what it says. The problem is you and I submitting to its guidance. That's where the problem comes in. Why? Because we have all these other philosophies fighting against it in our head. For you to see the hope of the world in your life, for you to, to walk in such hope and such grace and such mercy and such power and such peace, it comes first and foremost when you and I start the process, when you and I say, you know what, I'm not going to live in sin anymore. I'm asking Jesus for help with my sin. I'm going to get free. I'm going to get delivered. And then we move into the place, Lord, whatever you say, I'll do. When this young man 
When Justin Wren said, you know what, I'm tired of my sin, got down on his knees, cried out to God, God spoke to him and shifted his life away from selfish ambition. He's back fighting, but he's fighting now on a platform that the money comes in so that he can actually take all that money and help these people in Africa. So God will take the things that you've been involved in, he'll renew you and guide you into those things. And so those giftings doesn't mean you have to give them up. And, you know, our, our, here's our greatest fear. If I follow God whole, wholeheartedly, he's going to go make me live in the Amazon. God, I, do, I love you, but please don't. I love my hair dryer. Jesus, I, I just can't do it. And that's what we're all fearful of. God made you not to like the Amazon. He ain't going to make you go there. Think about it. He will give you the desires of your heart, the word of God says. First way he guides us is through his word. You still with me? Say yes. Here's the second way he guides us, and that is the Holy Spirit within you. The moment you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit came to live and abide in you. That's that nudge that you feel. That's that sense of, hey, that's not right. Before I was a Christian, there was no sense that that ain't right. It was, you were stupid, you left your bicycle in the yard, I'm going to take it. It's right for me. may not be right for you, but it's right for me. And then when I, when I became a Christian, the Holy Spirit came and lived and abided in me. And now all of a sudden I felt guilty for taking, cussing somebody or stealing from somebody. I felt, I felt ooh, why? Because it was the Holy Spirit. Guiding me. Look what the word of God says in John chapter 16, verse 13. But he, talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes. But when, excuse me, uh, he, the, Holy, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Oh, man, it's so fun to be around Christian businessmen and women. They tell me all the time, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. I had this thought, I was in prayer, the Spirit of the Lord told me to do this little marketing thing, I did it, it has blown up our business. I would have never thought about it. I was just in prayer. I was just before the Lord, and the Spirit of the Lord just nudged me and thought, Look, Pastor, I can't tell you how many people say, Pastor, I was struggling so much in our marriage, and you know, we were in service, we were worshiping, and you begin to say, listen, lift your hands and ask for somebody to pray for you. So I lift my hands, they all started coming and praying for me, and the moment they did, I started having these thoughts in my mind of what I needed to say to my wife, and where I was being wrong at it, and how I needed to turn it around. That's the Spirit of the Lord. That's the Spirit of the Lord. That's how he works. Holy Spirit is constantly trying to engage with you to guide you and to lead you. And here's the third piece that I would teach, and that is prophetic voices. Prophetic voices. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19, it says, Do not quench the Spirit. Don't hold back the Holy Spirit. Do not despise prophecy. In other words, don't treat prophecy like, ah, that's just that dude right there. He had too much pizza last night. I don't know. Now, I don't know about you, but I've grown up in environments where there were lots of people who were learning to prophesy. And they were practicing on me. And thank God I was mature enough to say, man, that is so sweet, but that ain't God. I love you, bro. You good try, dude. Try again. Swing it. Come on, get, a, get the bat. Try it again. Because you struck out on that one. And I've had him. I had a dude one time. This pastor wanted me to be his youth pastor. I was in Texas. He was in, in the Carolinas. He had heard me speak somewhere. And he kept calling me. I said, no, I'm not coming to Carolinas. I like, I like being in Texas. Thank you so much. One day at my youth service, this dude showed up. Cool, cool African-American dude. He showed up. And, uh, and I was like, man, why is this older dude all up in my youth service? And we had a big youth service, lots of young people getting saved. So we were used to people coming, checking us out, you know, media people, so forth and so on. And so afterwards, he said, sir, can I talk to you? I said, I said yeah. He said, I'm pastor so-and-so. I'm a worship pastor in South Carolina. I was like, Okay. See, what he didn't realize is I have the gift of discernment. So before he even knew, I knew what he was about to try to do. He said, I just had a word for you while you were preaching. I said, okay. The Lord says you're to go to South Carolina. You're to hook up with brother so-and-so. 
I, pu- I stopped him right there. I said, where do, you, where do you work at? At such and such church. Who's the pastor? Brother so-and-so. I said, bro, you be a manipulative. I love you. God did not. Say, your pastor sent you here to try to recruit me, not the Holy Spirit. So you need to repent. God bless you. I love you. And I reject your word. But, and that's why the next part of that scripture says, do not despise prophecy, but what? Say it with me. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. We're not supposed to despise prophecy. We're supposed to embrace them, but we have to test them. So, ooh, that's, see, prophecy should never tell you what to do. Prophecy should only encourage what God has already spoken to your heart. That's all it's supposed to do. Like, I don't know what to do. And somebody gave me a prophecy. I'm going to go do it. Why would you do that? I don't even know if it's the Lord, but I just, th- th- what that is is weak-willed. You need to get a little bit of willpower under you and get a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of identity that who you are in Christ, know who you are, know that God speaks to you, just like he speaks to brother and sister so-and-so. I used to be around groups of people that got awed with these dudes on stage. Like, ooh, they hear from God. They move in the glory. And they, they have all their little antics, you know, hallelujah, tell me what's happening, sister. That's amazing. Praise the Lord. And the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Pick it back up, pick it back up. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, and I'd have all these little young friends who are like, oh, look how the Holy Spirit moves through them. I wish I could be like that. And I want The same Holy Spirit lives in you, stupid. And that is not the way. That's that person's way that they move in the gifts of God. But yours might just be as simply being on the job and, and before somebody, before a ladder falls out under them and they die, you stop and go by and say, bro, I feel like, hold on, let me help you here, brother. I, I see you might be about to fall. That's the same Holy Spirit guidance. You got to learn the Holy Spirit guidance and you got to learn to walk in the prophetic and be able to speak. The other day I get a phone call from Pastor Charles Logan, one of our pastors on staff, and I just, it was one of them days, it had been one of those weeks, and he said, Pastor, I was praying for you today. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to encourage you in this. And he started, bah, 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 bah. I'm crying on the other end of the phone. I'm like, Pastor Charles, you were right on the money, man. That's exactly what I need to hear because I was about to blow something up. And so you thank God you called for me. In fact, this church exists today because Jamie and I were about our business in the things of the Lord. And we both got a prophetic word that God wanted us to start a church in Cedar Hill called Church on the Hill. I'm like, man, we don't need another church in the Metroplex. Lord, have you seen the Metroplex? Like, why would we, and not only that, why would we have a multiracial church? If I'm a black guy, I'm going to Bishop Jake's church. And if not Bishop, I'm going to Tony Evans because that dude's legit. I just saw I can be close to Priscilla Shire. I mean, she's the best preacher in the world. Like, why do we need another church with me? Lord, Lord said, I have need of you. And we said, okay. The prophetic is the reason we're here. It wasn't practical. It wasn't good for my family financially. It was, a, it was three steps back from where we were at and where we had been trying to get to in our minds. Oh, but friends, had I not followed the guidance of the Lord, I wouldn't have you in my life. We wouldn't have this in our life. We wouldn't be changing the world together. The question is this, is will you let him guide you? Will you let him guide you? Will you submit to his guidance? What philosophy are you living by? What helps you make decisions on how you treat your children? What is your concept on how you spend your money? How do you, how do you engage with what is right and wrong? Do you think it's okay to take that plywood from the job because you know you've been working that job and the owner's got enough money anyway and you need it at home? What guides you? What leads you? For hope to really come in our life, first, last week we learned, we've got we to consecrate ourselves. 
Lord, I submit. Lord, just, just I, I surrender myself. Lord, heal me. Fix me from sin. But today we're learning that we've got to let him guide us. We've got to submit to his guidance.